In the Gospel according to John, chapter 10 and verse 10, John records for us the statement of Jesus there that's going to be the basis for our study this morning. Jesus says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now listen to it. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's going to be the basis for our study this morning, and not just this morning, but for the next two, three, four weeks, however long I decide. Jesus said, I am come that they, that's me and you. Jesus came so that we might have life. And He came so we could have life more abundantly. Have you ever thought about that word abundantly? The root word is abundant. It means a life that is plentiful. A life that is copious. A life that is rich. A life that is bountiful. Jesus came so we could have that kind of life. But if we're going to have life abundantly, if we're going to have a deep, rich, meaningful life that Jesus wants us to have, we've got to be victorious over some things. We've got to conquer certain things in our lives. We have to live life and get the very best there is to get out of life. And one of the things that we have to conquer is fear. We must get the best of fear. Two words. Fear not. God says that more times than anything else in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we hear the command of God that says to fear not. From Abraham in the desert to John exiled on Patmos, we hear the exhortation from the lips of God, fear not. It's spoken by the mouths of prophets, apostles, martyrs, and it's spoken by Jesus. Fear not. God said that to Abraham. He said it to Israel. He said it to Moses. And He said it to David. It was said to Daniel. It was said to the city of Jerusalem. And it was said to the disciples. Fear not was said to the women at the sepulcher. It was said to Zacharias, to Mary, to Simon, and Paul. They all heard those words. It was said under all kinds of circumstances. It's the word that God speaks to believers. It's the word that God speaks to us today. And that word is fear not. If you go through the Bible, the frequency with which God says fear not, it's indicative of something. It's indicative of the fact that fear is the great enemy of our lives. 
But so many of us are like little five-year-old Johnny. You know, in all these, in all preacher stories, the, the little mischievous boy, it's either Johnny or Billy. Well, I've got two stories to tell this morning, so this one's Johnny and Billy's going to be in the next story. But little five-year-old Johnny was in the kitchen, and his mother was making supper. And she says, Johnny, would you go into the pantry and get me a can of tomato soup? But Johnny didn't want to go into that pantry by himself. He said, Mommy, it's dark in that pantry and I'm scared. She said, Johnny, please go get me a can of tomato soup. But Mommy, I'm scared. And when he persisted in being scared, she finally says, Johnny, it's okay. You can go in the pantry. Jesus is going to be there with you in the dark. So Johnny walks over to the pantry door and he slowly opens the door. And he peeked inside and it was dark. And it was scary. And he was about to just close the door and leave. And then a light bulb went on in his head and he had an idea. And so Johnny says, Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me the tomato soup? Well, then again, maybe we're more like little Billy was in the thunderstorm one night. Oh, it was raining hard. The wind was blowing. The thunder was rolling. The lightning was lighting up the sky. And little Billy was so afraid. And his mother went into his room and she tucked him in and she said, Billy, it's going to be okay. And she, was a, she hugged him and she kissed him goodnight. And she was about to turn the light off when... In a trembling voice, little Billy says, Mommy, Mommy, will you stay in here with me all night? And she smiled at him and she said, Baby, I can't stay here. I have to sleep in Daddy's room with Daddy. And there was a long silence. And it was broken by little Billy's shaky voice. Big sissy. Maybe that's the way we are. We're afraid. Folks, fear is our greatest adversary. There's an ancient legend of a man driving one day toward a certain city. And as he was driving along in his carriage, he was stopped by an old woman that asked him for a ride. He took her up beside him in the carriage and they drove down the road and there was something unsettling about his passenger. And as he looked at her, he became frightened. And he asked her, he said, who are you? The legends, according to the legend, the old woman looked at him and she said, I am cholera. The man ordered her to get, stop the carriage and he ordered her to get out and walk. But she persuaded him to take him with her. She promised him, she said, I will not kill more than five people in the city. And she handed him a special dagger. It's the only weapon, she said, that could kill her. And she said that she would meet him in two days and he could stab her with that dagger if she broke her promise. Over the next two days, 120 people died in the city. The enraged man, after two days, went to look for her. 
And meeting her, he raised the dagger to kill her, and she stopped him and said, I kept my promise. I kept my part of the agreement. I only killed five people. Fear, she said, killed the others. Folks, that legend is a true parable of life. Disease kills its thousands and fear kills its tens of thousands. The greatest miseries of humanity come from the dread of trouble rather than the presence of trouble. From the cradle to the grave, fear casts a shadow on our lives. It betrays our spirit and it breaks down our defenses. It disarms us in battle and makes us unfit for the work of life. Fear. That's what adds terror to the bed of a dying man or a dying woman. Write this down. And don't you dare forget it. Listen to me. Fear in the form of worry is the greatest, most harmful, most senseless, most useless, and the most universal of all sins. It would take a giant catalog to exhaust all the kinds of fear that exists. There are folks that enjoy good health, and you know what they're afraid of? They're afraid they're going to get sick. And there are folks that are sick. You know what they're afraid of? They're afraid that they're not going to get well. There are folks that are young. They're afraid of old age. With the exception of a couple, the thought of dying young, that ship sailed for most in this group. There are some that are beautiful or they're handsome. And they're afraid of that day when beauty has vanished or they're no longer handsome. Fear weakens us. It saddens us. And it frightens us. Fear blinds us to the joys and the satisfactions of life. It doesn't matter what our profession of faith might be. It does not matter how loudly we might shout from the housetops our deep faith in God. If we are under the dominion of fear, we have become a practical atheist. You remember what Paul wrote to the young preacher Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1? It's in verse 7. He says to that young man, he says, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. God didn't give me or you either one a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power. He gave us a spirit of love. 
the spirit of a sound mind. But you know what? If we could, like Jesus, look into the hearts of those that we come in contact with, we would be amazed to learn the number and the variety of fears that other people have. Fears that range from the fear of a child as it comes into the world to the fear of one who's facing life's last experience, death. But if you really stop and think about it, what is sadder than fear? Here we are, created in the image of God, made for dominion over the whole world, created with the intellect of an angel and created with an immortal soul. And with all of that, we are victimized and slaves to thousands of fears. Over in Genesis chapter 3, fear was the very first wages of sin. It was in the garden. The tempter had come to Eve, and Eve yielded and ate the forbidden fruit, and she gave it to Adam, and Adam ate the forbidden fruit. And then they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that after they had eaten that forbidden fruit, they had done what God told them not to do, and they're there in the garden, they hear the voice of God, It says they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And God called to Adam and He said, Adam, Adam, where art thou? You remember what Adam said? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid. Since that day, That was the first shadow fear ever cast over the world. And since that day, fear has been blighting and darkening the lives of men and women on the footstool of God continuously. If we could banish fear from our lives, that would be the greatest blessing ever bestowed upon mankind. And the great remedy for fear, the only remedy for fear, is the one the Bible offers us. And that remedy is complete trust, total confidence in God. The casting of all of our care upon the Lord. That's the way Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Writing to Christians, Peter says, Casting all of your care upon Him. He doesn't say casting some of your care upon Him, or casting most of your care upon Him, or casting the biggest of your cares upon Him. Peter says, casting all 
Every last one of them. Casting all of your care upon Him. Why, Peter? Because He cares for you. Let's be honest. A large percentage of the things that we dread never happen. If a person kept a register of fears for 20 or 25 or 30 or 40 years, and you look back over that list of your fears of 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago, you'd realize that most of them never came to pass. And yet there are so many people who are miserable all of their lives. They're harassed and they're suffering and they're waiting for something disastrous and something unpleasant and something awful to happen. And it doesn't. Folks, even the heaviest of our troubles will pass away. During the darkest days of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was heard to say so often, this too shall pass. It reminds us of the story of the Eastern King. He was unable to control his anxious moments. He asked his wise men for a cure. They were unable to provide one. It was all in vain. But his daughter gave him a ring. And on that ring was the inscription, This too shall pass away. The poet expressed it this way. Once in Persia reigned a king, who upon his signet ring graved a maxim true and wise which if held before the eyes, it gave him wisdom at a glance fit for every change and chance. Solemn words, and these are they. Even this shall pass away. Peter said, casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. We've got to remember fear, worry, anxiety. They're useless. Whether the things we dread the most come to pass or not, our fearing them and our being anxious about them and our worrying about them in advance will not in any way hold them back, nor will it diminish their power. There's nothing so useless as fear and anxiety and worry. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, why Jesus emphasizes there the folly of worry. He says, which of you, by taking thought, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? That's the way the King James translates it. It actually is saying, Jesus is saying, which of you, by worry and anxiety, can make yourself one inch taller. And you know, I think about that and I read that and I would have loved to have been there to actually hear the inflection of Jesus' 
voice and to see his facial expression when he actually said that in the sermon. Because I think there was almost humor in it. I think Jesus was teaching that day and he was smiling. He said, which one of you, which one of you worrying about it is going to get any taller? It's not going to happen. For our day and time, it might have been better if Jesus said, which one of you worrying about it is going to lose five pounds? It's not going to happen. And I think Jesus was smiling and said it almost in a humorous way. Which of you, by worrying, is going to add one cubit to his height? He said, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Every day has got enough troubles all of its own that you're going to face that day. You don't need to try to borrow trouble from tomorrow or cross bridges before you get to them. God hears our cries of distress. And in our distress, God empowers us and God will deliver us. But God does not do it by removing the evil or removing the danger. He does it by showing us His face. He does it walking by our side. When Paul prayed for his thorn in the flesh, he prayed three times. I don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but it bothered him. It bothered him greatly. And in that second Corinthian letter, he says three times, I prayed to God for the thorn in the flesh, the suffering that I had, this that was bothering me so terribly. I prayed three times for God to take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient. Paul, I'm not going to take it away from you, but I'll give you the strength to deal with it. Jesus wants us, me and you, He wants us to live a more abundant life. But to do that, we've got to overcome fear. We've got to conquer it. We've got to get the best of it. And we conquer fear and we overcome fear when we make Jesus Christ the Lord and the Master of our lives. Because if He's not Lord and Master of all of our life, He's not Lord and Master at all in our life. And we make Him Lord when we come to Him in simple trusting faith and confess His name and we're buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins. And we continue to make Him the Lord of our life by living His kind of life, His way. I don't know what needs there might be in your life this morning. But if for some reason we can help you in your obedience and in some way we can help you to make Jesus the Lord and Master of your life, you're invited to come as we stand.